0: How, uh, how about a toast? I know one. Uh-huh. Here's to your help, your honor, and the health of all your descendants, great and small.
1: That's a mighty handsome toast.
0: <laughs> it's an Irish toast, for the best I know.
1: May you keep as young and as pretty as you are until doomsday. And never forget the man who wished it.
0: Hello, and welcome to the screen test of time. I'm Susan Araslin.
1: And I'm David Dahl.
0: And this is a podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture in order from the very first award ceremony to eventually the present year. This week, we are starting the nominees for the 1932 and 1933 awards with a very strange drama called Smiling Through.
1: This is the most melodrama thing I have ever watched in my entire life. <laughs> like
0: it is a lot. <laughs>
1: it is so much and it's bonkers and I kind of loved it. Like I have I have my reservations and like one of the things I wanted to say to you like right off the bat is like Susan should one of my exes ever murder me while trying to murder Nikki? And then Nikki uh, like has an adopted niece or nephew that is basically like a son or daughter to them. Uh Uh-huh. And then that niece or nephew ends up trying to marry someone who is the son or daughter of the ex that murdered me mm-hmm. i need you to let nikki know that my ghost is definitely not telling her that's okay that i definitely for all of eternity want to just fuck that guy that whose dad <laughs> killed me like really definitely f- yeah definitely for sure i do not forgive them or their family line
0: david <laughs>
1: I don't, I just, I don't. And like, I want to say, I think this movie like really goes, I I don't know. I guess we should (laughs) explain the plot of this film before I go into my argument for this.
0: I mean, I feel like you did just explain the (laughs) the plot of the film, but uh, I mean... Yeah,
1: spoilers, that exact thing happens, but with (laughs) less gender ambiguity.
0: Yeah, so this... Wealthy old guy has, he has a ward who is his, it's his sister's daughter? Somebody's daughter. It's his niece.
1: His dead wife's sister's daughter. Right,
0: okay, so it's his niece, barely his wife, barely, definitely (laughs) dead, barely his wife. She really,
1: she went the extra mile, but we'll we'll get into that scene, because my god. (laughs) Anyway,
0: so he he has this ward, played by Norma Shearer. Named Kathleen. And Kathleen is dating the most toast dude of all time. Mm-hmm. One night when they're stranded in the rain on the night that I'm pretty sure he's going to ask her to marry him. They go into the platonic ideal of the literary gothic haunted house <sighs> God, to escape yeah. the rain. <laughs> Where she meets this random dude who is in the house, and they totally hit it off, and she falls in love with him, but he's supposed to go off to the front for World War II. No, World War One, because World War II has not happened yet. <laughs> in the universe this movie was filmed. Yes. Never mind the universe in the movie.
1: Of the narrative. Yes.
0: Yeah. So he's supposed to go to World War I. And then her sort of uncle, whatever, her basically her dad, her adopted dad, finds out that he is the son of the guy who shot and killed his wife basically during the recessional of their wedding because he tried to kill the rich guy but missed because he didn't want him to marry the woman that he loved So the rich guy is like, no way, you can't be with him anymore. I I forbid it. And then they like carry on despite that. And she says that she's going to run away with the guy and get married in Dover before he ships off to World War One. But then he's like, no, I can't do that because you'll be disinherited and you won't have anything. And then they have what is the most realistic fight I've ever seen on film That is so much stranger by virtue of the fact that it exists in a movie that is otherwise so
1: overdramatic. It is the one scene in the entire film that is in any way tethered to reality. And like in that way, it becomes like (laughs) almost disturbing.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Anyway, so he goes to World War One and then he comes back and the rich guy is like, don't you come around my house? Even though his dead wife's spirit is like, you should let them get married because they love each other. And then eventually like- Oh,
1: and also explicitly, you will go to hell if you don't do this.
0: (laughs) Right. Yes. And we will not spend eternity together. Instead, you will be in the flames of eternal damnation. Uh, Eventually he has a change of heart and they're going to get married. And then the old guy- dies, I guess, happily, because now he can spend the rest of eternity with his very dead but barely wife.
1: (laughs) The end. And like, I know that that plot summary already probably sounds pretty wild. But like, let's get into this because like, let's just dig into the detail because this movie is like fractally bizarre. Like you can look at any any given scene and go that is the most nuts thing I have ever (laughs) the wedding flashback
0: this movie's story is definitely one movie it doesn't have that feeling of like full metal jacket where it's like you shot two movies and then shove them together halfway through but it it is like 17 different styles of story
1: (laughs) ah there's this thing where like there are plot details where if you look at them for three seconds they just don't make any goddamn sense like 100 percent. sir john has told kathleen this story a thousand times like there is no way that dude just was just like i will constantly talk about my dead wife and constantly talk about how you look exactly like my dead wife but we're just never gonna mention how she died <laughs> Until you're like 23.
0: Right. Also played, by the way, by Norma Shearer, which yes. is a nice little touch. Uncredited, in fact.
1: Yes. And in fact, I did not realize that until looking at the Wikipedia page, because they do a really good job making her hair look different enough that I'm like, is that the same person? Because I th- I would think that it should be like the same person. Same with Leslie Howard. His old age makeup is ridiculous. But like, when it is young him, I had no idea it was the same dude.
0: I didn't either. And in fact, I definitely realized that it was Norma Shear. And I definitely realized that her ex was the same actor that plays Kenneth, who's the guy that she wants to run away with. But even though there's a really nice sort of fade transition from young Sir John remembering what happened to him sitting at the table right at the beginning, I was like, oh, that was a really great fade that they did from one actor to another actor <laughs> but no it was the same guy yeah so yeah like where to start in this movie is a really difficult
1: thing right like it's uh, because so so many details are just wild Like, one, can we talk about that great shot of lightning hitting a tree and the tree splitting open? Because I genuinely was like, how'd they do that? It's 1932.
0: I mean, it's probably like they did in Wings where they wanted to show a plane flying into a building. So they flew a fucking plane into a building.
1: (laughs) I guess they just hit a fucking tree with a giant crack. Like, I guess.
0: Like, you can make artificial lightning. So I bet they just, you know, put like a metal rod behind the tree and then shot some electricity at it. I don't know.
1: I may, yeah, I guess.
0: And this movie is not, it's not heavy on special effects in any way, except for The Ghost Wife. Yeah. Actually, I take that back. Maybe it is heavy on special effects because of The Ghost Wife. I think we should start with the beginning because, like, very quickly, this movie shifts from one style of storytelling to another in a way that almost gave me whiplash. <laughs> Because you start out with the little girl is coming to to live with him. And it's a very, very Dickensian sort of or uh, like any sort of orphan story, you know, mm-hmm. and you think, oh, OK, like I, I know what this movie is going to be based on that. Yeah. And then immediately it is not that. Yeah, no,
1: in the time it takes your brain to form the sentence oh, the little girl will melt his heart and he'll, like, stop being a bitter old man. That entire process happens. It happens over the space of, like, three lines. And then you jump cut to the little girl being, like, A young woman.
0: They're sitting and having breakfast and they're chatting about the guy that she, I guess, is seeing or dating or whatever. And how they're expecting that, you know, any day now there's going to be an engagement. And then they're on a date and they're in the rain and it's raining. And you're like, okay, I know where this is going now. And now we're going to have like the engagement that happens, but she's not really something's going to happen where he's a jerk. That was totally what I thought was like, okay, this guy is way too upper crust and way too much of a wimp who is freaked out about standing in the rain to work with this incredibly independent, stylish, very charming, very self-possessed woman, which by the way, Norma Shear is amazing. And seeing her in a role that is not just wearing pretty clothes, like she did in the divorcee (laughs) was wonderful. (laughs)
1: Yeah, she's great in this. Genuinely, the scene where she and Kenneth, like, meet and have their, like, meet cute over port is genuinely, like, charming. Like, it is the first time I think we have seen a couple and I've been like, these two kids should make it work.
0: And the fact that she pulls that off while the guy she's dating is in the same room is phenomenal.
1: Okay, it helps, though, that this guy, like, that guy invented being the Baxter. Like, he is so aggressively the Baxter that, like, he, he literally is sitting there and, like, he is so no fun that even me, who, like, I definitely was no fun in my dating days for, like, most of my relationships. And this dude, I'm like, dude, just get into the, like, feel the energy in the room for three seconds. <laughs>
0: So you think, like, this is what that movie is going to be, that it's going to be that kind of, like, oh, it turns out that this is not the right guy for her movie. And then they go into the nearby house, and it immediately goes into, like, a gothic haunted house horror movie. Mm -hmm. Except, no, that's not what this movie is, (laughs) either.
1: No, and then it's a romantic comedy for five minutes, which is also (laughs) not what this movie is.
0: It is really remarkable how quickly it shifts. And I almost don't want to say that it is a failing of the movie, even though like from a critical assessment, it's absolutely a failing of the movie. And when we get to the end of this where we have to rate it, like it's going to be difficult for me because I really enjoyed the movie while realizing that it was kind of a mess.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I don't know if I would even like, This is definitely a movie where, like, my, like, what, what am I rating this display is, like, tilt. Like, I don't know, (laughs) I don't quite know how to handle what this movie is, because, like, I, I kind of want to, I know it's not objectively a great film, but I do kind of want to reject, like, it's not that it's a mess. It's just that it's so its own thing that it's really weird, because its own thing is fucking wild as shit. It is like gothic horror melodrama. It, in a lot of ways, and not just in the set design of that abandoned house, reminds me of the Guillermo del Toro movie before Shape of Water uh, with Hiddleston.
0: Oh, uh, Crimson Peak. Which will be the second time yeah. we've mentioned Crimson Peak on this podcast, which is like, which is weird because I liked that movie fine, but it's not amazing.
1: <laughs> no, but it has a similar thing to this movie where its groove is objectively insane, but I kind of respect it for getting into the groove, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, we've watched a lot of movies that have never figured out how to become themselves, right? and this movie definitely knows how to be what it wants to be. It's just what it wants to be is pretty nuts.
0: This movie is the film equivalent of like playboy millionaire who wants to be a pilot and a sailor and a horseback jockey and a whatever like it wants to be all of these things and does them so quickly and then leaves them behind or maybe does them very quickly and then picks them up. 30 minutes later but it does do all of them really well like i must say that sydney franklin is so effective at establishing the setting and feeling of a particular tableau that that's kind of what it's what makes it feel so whiplashy is you're like oh yeah he's nailing gothic horror drama oh he's nailing adorable romantic comedy he's nailing high drama like oh no so-and-so's going off yeah. to war. And he gets it really quickly and really perfectly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, like, the tone is all over the place. And, like, the plot is all over the place. And, like, it all hangs together But to me, like the weird thing and they're not bad performances, but just like the characters become these totally unhinged from trying to hold this world and this story together. They just like all are crazy people. (laughs) Or they are so stoic that it is equally crazy. When the wife dies in the flashback, she literally is sitting there with a gunshot wound in her chest in the middle of her own wedding, being tended to by her husband of eight seconds, and just goes, "'Oh, John, isn't it just terrible?' Like, yeah, it really fucking is! For sure!' It is lit. it's one of maybe the most tragic things I've ever heard of in my life. And everyone's just like, ah, bummer.
0: There's definitely a feeling that you have where it's like, oh God, an ex killed, you know, somebody at their wedding, but it's usually at like the reception, not while they're still standing at the altar, but have been married.
1: He is also like, he is Sir. He is a sir. I feel like if this happened in 1850, it would be like the biggest news story in all of England.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's
1: nuts. There's so much that's crazy about this film that it feels really nitpicky to go like, this just makes no sense. But the like core thing that makes absolutely no sense about this film is the idea that Kathleen would not know this story. (laughs) I cannot jump through the amount of hoops that you would have to jump through for it to make any sense to me. That this woman who has stayed with this dude, whose entire life is defined by, like, the most nuts tragedy... (laughs) is just finally learning at 22 when he finally decides to tell her for some reason he has kept it from her all this time.
0: Which seems odd also that she wouldn't have asked. Yeah. I know that my mom's sister was your wife and that she died. What happened? Yeah. Because also her mom is dead. So would it, uh, you know, like maybe her mom... uh, it just feels like a conversation that would have happened at some point. Mm-hmm. That that I agree with, that it's like, of all of the totally insane things that happen in this movie, that's the one, like, my disbelief is not suspended.
1: Y- y- yeah, I know that it's like, because it has to set up this, like, sort of mirrored forbidden romance between Kathleen and Kenneth. This has to happen for the plot to happen. But like... T- <laughs> When he's like, I'm finally going to tell you what happened to my wife. I'm like, what? How? Okay, what? That was when I finally figured out what the movie was going to be. Because it never occurred to me that she didn't know.
0: That is, by the way, 30 minutes before the movie ends. Right.
1: But like, (laughs) when she is meeting Kenneth, it like didn't occur to me that there would be this like forbidden love where Sir John kept them apart because... He is the son of the guy that killed the wife, because I just thought, like, well, there's no way Kathleen doesn't know that story. It just would not make any sense for Kathleen to have not learned the defining tragedy of the life of the adopted father she's had for 20 years or something.
0: That's a difficult hoop to jump through. I mean, now that I think about it, that may very well also be a suspension of disbelief exhaustion just as set in by that point. (laughs) Yes. Because they're meat cute again, like even though the guy's no fun, he is a guy that she has some sort of relationship with where it is heavily implied that it's expected that they're going to be engaged soon. And this guy just walks into a creepy haunted house, which he by the way, doesn't ever say like, yeah, this is my house. Because when the guy who's We'll just call him Baxter. Mm -hmm. When Baxter is like, that port isn't your property. He's not like, yeah, actually it is, bro. This is my fucking house.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Kenneth is simultaneously like the first male protagonist in a movie that we have watched that I've ever just like completely without any reservation been like, this is a great dude. The only time he's not a great dude, he has a really understandable reason for not being a great dude. Also, though. Definitely, for sure, I would not let him marry my niece after his dad. Like, no. No. Which will get... Yeah,
0: I guess we have to get to that. But I I really want to very soon. But yeah, so it's his house. So like...
1: This is what I did want to say about that, though. At the very end of the scene he tells her that this is th- his house. Mm-hmm. Let's the Baxter fume about it for the entire scene. And like, <laughs> lets it be like this fun thing they're doing. And then at the end is like, I mean, technically this is my port anyway. Right. Because I own this gigantic fucking fireplace. That's the single most amazing architectural feature anyone has ever seen in their entire life.
0: Oh, it's so great. But so we've already got the suspension of disbelief here that they are going to have the most charming flirtatious conversation maybe ever and that he's straight up gonna hit on her in front of probably her boyfriend
1: Mm -hmm. but he's
0: so cool about it because they exchange these toasts and hers is something like the best of luck and fortune or whatever to you and all of your forebears great and small (laughs) which you know foreshadowing Mm -hmm. and then his is like two what is it
1: may you remain young and beautiful forever and may the man that saw it never forget it is basically the toast
0: no no it's it's may you something like may you always be this beautiful or or whatever and remember fondly the man who told you that you
1: were (laughs) oh right it's even fucking smoother than my version yeah it's so smooth but
0: it's also a clear come on in
1: front of her boyfriend oh yeah no it is he is Hitting on her so hard.
0: And yet, we're like, yeah, yeah, we love it. It's great. He's not a fucking creep or a douchebag or an asshole for hitting on her in front of her boyfriend. This is right.
1: And then, like, the next scene is him, like, waiting outside of her house with bikes and just coming up with the saddest, like, transparently fake excuse for why he's doing that that isn't just to ask her on a date so that she will immediately see through it. And they can go on a date, and it's also super charming.
0: Yeah, there's something about this where... There is definitely the establishment of in a movie where it's like, oh, if the guy tries hard enough, then, you know, he'll get the girl. Except for the fact that she's never resisting. That needs to be said because it is not, oh, she turned me down, so I'm going to keep trying to do more and more romantic things. Yeah. There's a really good feedback loop happening here where it's like, he puts something out, she picks it up and, you know, lobs the ball back. So in case anyone is listening and is like, oh, well, that old trope, no. He's not pushing her beyond anything she feels comfortable with.
1: <laughs> yeah. On a similar note, really liked that in this movie, Willie, the, the Baxter guy, comes back toward the very end of the movie, comes back mm-hmm. from World War One, and very briefly is like, Hey, so you never responded to any of my letters, huh? And she's like, Oh, I got... <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, No, it's cool, I get it. And like, there there is no <laughs> With the exception of Jeremy Wayne, the terrible dad who the movie thinks of as the biggest villain in the film, everybody is basically respectful of what women want and trying to, like, pick up what they're putting down.
0: He is specifically the villain because he is disrespectful of what women want. And the movie is like, yeah, so watch out for dudes who won't be respectful of what women want, even when they take an excessive amount of time to explain it. Yeah. Because those dudes are violent creepazoids who will shoot you at the altar on your wedding day. (sighs) Yeah. They have this whole exchange, and then they go on a date, and then they have increasingly adorable dates.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Until we get to the flashback, where we learn about why they can never be together because Kenneth's dad is the most i love that he has also the exact outfit from the kate beaton comic about the uh bronte sisters um
0: oh my god it is exactly that <laughs> outfit and the mustache yeah.
1: and he is an alcoholic dick bag with that exact attitude from that comic
0: yeah oh absolutely yeah the first thing that we ever hear about him is they're like having a i guess an engagement party or it's the night before their wedding and they're having a big party and he shows up and her maid is like oh he's here and i think he's been drinking (laughs) yeah and they talk too about she says something to him to the effect of like you know i think you've been you've been drinking too much lately and you know his excuse is like Well, because I've lost you, so it's totally fine for me to just be wasted all the time. And it's like, nah, dude, that's not how that works.
1: (laughs) No. And, like, I to the movie's credit, it it does not pretend for even a second like that logic holds up under any scrutiny.
0: No, like, if you want to get totally blasted because you got dumped, you do that with your pals, not show up at the party the night before her wedding, and then kiss her- After she's explained to you, you know, we we did have a, ch- a childhood romance and it was nice, but I'm in love with this guy now and I'm going to marry him. And his response is like, is to try to get her to kiss him. That's what? What an
1: asshole. His response is to try and get her to kiss him and then openly threaten to murder her fiance.
0: yes. Yes, that, yes, that is a thing that happens. I do want to say, like, I think that the handling of the scene after that was actually really nice and so mature, where Sir John comes out and they have the conversation in the garden and, you know, she reassures them that everything's fine and he reassures her that everything's fine and they talk about how excited they are to get married. It's a kind of a surprising moment. I mean, it's kind of a surprising moment in a movie that is full of surprising moments. Because it doesn't feel tortured or melodramatic. It just feels like it feels very adult. Also, it's like, what, the 18-somethings or other?
1: I think it's supposed to be the 1850s.
0: And they're like very definitely not even so much tiptoeing around as just not using the outright words, talking about how excited they are to have sex.
1: There is the most (laughs) charming sex joke in this movie, which is them talking about going to France (laughs) and... Them doing a cute little like, oh, we should just stay here exactly where we are together forever. And then he goes like, ah but there are such good restaurants in France. And she goes, oh, yes, our wonderful honeymoon where we'll be eating at all the restaurants. And then she just kind of winks at him. And it's the (laughs) best.
0: I think she even says like our charming honeymoon that we spent at a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) At rest- <laughs> like it's that's yes. the only thing they'll do is they'll go to the one restaurant and then like definitely bang for a week, which is like really cute.
1: Oh, see, I, I took the joke this a slightly different way with the same punchline, basically, where just like she was just like, yes, that's w- that's what I care about on our honeymoon to Paris. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what we'll be doing with our time there is going to restaurants as a sarcastic thing. But like the point either way is like yeah, we're going to be banging on her honeymoon. And like, it's really sweet. Uh, and then she gets shot.
0: And then she gets <laughs> shot. Yeah. Which that scene is also really bizarre because like, because it goes on for a really long time. And you're like, did, would someone go get a doctor? Or does she just need to have like a Lucia de more length death monologue here? Except that it's not even a death monologue. It's like they're having a light conversation while she's dying in his arms for 10 minutes.
1: I think there's just this Victorian thing where if it's if you're wounded and it's sufficiently tragic, you're just gonna die. Like that's just the law.
0: Yeah, I mean to be fair, medicine in England in the 1850s was not amazing.
1: Yeah. But then they come out of the flashback and Sir John is like, you can never see that guy again because his dad murdered my wife. And then like in yet another moment of Kenneth being the best, all this gets explained to him by Kathleen and his immediate reaction is like, shoot. Yeah, he's right. I can't marry you. <laughs> like, yeah, that's fucked up. I my, I that mm. No good.
0: And at this point, Sir John hasn't even threatened to disinherit her or anything because she's at least initially is like, oh, okay, I understand. Like that sucks and is terrible, Mm -hmm. but it makes sense that this would be really upsetting to you. She does try to argue a little bit like, oh, but he's not like his dad. He didn't even really know him. But yeah, Kenneth is always deeply respectful of women and also just of other people's feelings.
1: Yeah. He's also really nice later when Sir John is, like, cursing him and his entire family line out. (laughs) Because he's, like, genuinely trying to do the right thing and, like, get his, like, approval for this marriage.
0: So they don't actually break up, though. He's not going to the front yet, and they keep going on dates and everything because she's like you know what nope i'm super crazy about you and i'm like not gonna i'm not gonna break this off and there's definitely a feeling in there of like they're doing this because she knows that he's gonna go off to a war and then like it's not gonna be it it won't be a thing anymore that they're gonna have like their whatever it is two week two month yeah adorable relationship where they go to this tea shop with a woman who has like the thickest i don't even know like essex accent
1: I do love that the British accents will just suddenly come up, like Kenneth's servant who has the thickest Cockney accent at the very end of the movie. Mm-hmm. That just like suddenly somebody will show up and be like, "Cor, governor, this movie's in England, eh?" <laughs> and you're like, okay, "Okay, dude, friggin' bring it down to like a nine from whatever you're at."
0: <laughs> um. Yeah. And so you know they have the, they have some more really cute dates which are great, and then he comes and tells her that he's you know he's got to ship off, and then they have the most realistic couple fight I have ever seen in my entire life. Like down to, I think there are multiple times where there's that lull where you're like, okay, okay, now we're on the same page and we're done fighting and we're just tired and we're like not touching and we're sitting kind of far apart, but but we're okay. But another thing. And then it starts all over again. But
1: another thing.
0: (laughs) And I was like, God, this is like, I've had this fight. Not about this subject, (gasps) but like, I have had this fight multiple times. She is like, we're going to get married. I'm going to come with you to Dover. And, you know, it makes sense because like, at least we'll be able to be married for some amount of time. Whereas if you go to war and die, like we will never have been married. Which is an interesting parallel to what happened with Sir John and his wife. And Kenneth, because he is a fucking great human being, is like, I'm not going to do that because you're going to get disinherited. And if I die, you will have nothing. Like, I don't have anything to... I won't be able to support you. This is a terrible idea. And then...
1: Then he, (laughs) like, he goes off to army and comes back four years later and, like, again is, like... This is the one part where Kenneth is kind of an asshole, but he's an asshole for a really understandable reason, which is he just went through all of World War One, oh Oh, and also he like has lost the use of a leg. He has been shot to hell, which I think is like exact phrasing and doesn't want Kathleen to marry him because he's deep into like self-hatred in that way. World War One veterans could kind of be. Or, like, all veterans. Yes. And uh, she runs off and finds him, and he does the, like, romance movie thing of, like, I'm gonna pretend to be a jerk to drive you away to so that you can live a life without me thing. Which
0: is the one dick move that, that he has.
1: Yes. And, like, again, to the credit of the movie, it is recognized by the movie as a dick move and a bad thing for him to do. Right. But... Then Sir John decides to forgive the guy. Terrible mistake. Even though he's the best dude in the world. D- Jeremy Wayne's line cannot be allowed to continue. But anyway, he decides to forgive Kenneth.
0: Yeah, but he forgives Kenneth after there is a really long scene with Ghost Yes. Who is like mystically superimposed on the film which is kind of an impressive thing when you think about the fact that they had to physically do that instead of just like putting it in after effects or whatever where she tells him not only will they not spend eternity together but he will be damned
1: he will be damned oh and also i love the fact that the supernatural rules in this universe are so nuts Everyone is constantly directly telling you what they are. Like, I love that she goes, it's implied. But he, like, he keeps going like, I can't hear you, darling. I can't hear you anymore. After, like, he screams at Kathleen. I don't know why I keep forgetting all the names in this movie. After he screams at Kathleen he sits down on this bench and starts going like, I can't hear you anymore, darling. Like, where have you gone? I can't hear you anymore. And it's like this nice, I mean, for this movie, relatively subtle moment of like, oh, this is like broken his ability to communicate with Herb. And then her ghostly voice just goes, your anger and hatred have put a barrier up that I cannot overcome. You cannot hear me anymore. And I'm like, yes, definitely. Sure.
0: <laughs> Even then, he does not immediately forgive Jeremy Wayne, who killed his eight-second wife, for a while. Like, his buddy that he plays chess with is like, you're gonna, you know, this is gonna tear you apart, and, like, you're never gonna be happy, and you basically says, like, and you won't be, or, and Moon Yi, who's his wife, his wife's name. Moon
1: Yi, I Moon think.
0: Moon Yi, which is a really bizarre English name, but, like, we'll just let it, we'll let it ride. yeah you know, would want you to, to let them be together. And he's still like, nah, fuck that guy and his son.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, then at the very, very, very end, he has a conversation with Kathleen and figures out like, oh, they're in love. Just like I was in love when I was young. And just like everyone has been telling me that they are for the last 30 minutes of this movie. And tells her that he was wounded in the war, and she runs off to get him back at the train station, and then he sits down with his buddy to play a game of chess, and just instantly dies. Now, uh, dies of no longer having a (laughs) plot.
0: Well, he dies of now, like, it's kind of an inverse ghost thing, where like, now his soul is at rest, so he can die.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. His work here is done. the the thing that is bonkers about that scene is his best friend who knows he's like 80 90 years old at this point going like "Ah, fell asleep at the chess table and just wandering away without checking on him at all
0: my feeling on that was that his friend knew he died and was just like oh now he you know he can die happily because he's gotten over this bullshit with holding a grudge against the son of the guy who shot his eight second wife
1: i guess but then just wandering away and leaving his adopted daughter to find the body is also a weird move
0: i mean maybe uh, yeah i guess that's true maybe he like went somewhere to to get you know the coroner i have no idea i'm just i'm giving him uh a lot more credit than i the movie does
1: I, I, think he, I think he thinks he's asleep just so that you don't have to think too much about how she's going to find him at the end, at the happy end of this movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I totally wouldn't put it past this movie to be like, so now we've got the happy end of the movie. Let's switch gears again, where she finds her dead dad just keeled over at the chess table. <clears throat>
1: And then we just, <laughs> we skip forward to, like, a sci-fi 1965 where, like, the three of them are in another weird love triangle. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's this movie. Uh. If this movie just went on forever switching gears, like, it would make sense. <laughs> I need to know your mm-hmm. full explanation for why I should tell your spouse if her ex kills you. <sighs>
1: Well, just, just in case she, like, interprets the shuffling of the leaves as me forgiving the ex that killed me. Like, no. No. Like, because here's the thing. Kenneth Wayne is absolutely the most ridiculous best case scenario for that thing, right? Like, yes, murderer isn't genetic, but like, <laughs> I feel like the nature versus nurture debate is, is not like, Well, 100% you go from alcoholic murdering dickbag to like, uh, no, this is not the moral argument I want to make. The moral argument I want to make is just like, no, I just never forgive him. I would never forgive them or... The- just curse,
0: just curse them and their yeah, family no, forever. Yeah, no, like, if
1: I'm a ghost, I'm definitely a ghost to, like, not just haunt them, but their issue for all eternity. Like, I'm in this for the long game, why the fuck am I a ghost if not?
0: That That's fair, except like- that, like, Moon Yin isn't a ghost to punish Jeremy, she's a ghost to continue her companionship with Sir John. <sighs>
1: Yeah. And, like, I guess that is the... Yeah. I mean, I'm being talked around to it also because, like, Kenneth is great.
0: See, for me, if I'm the ghost, I definitely... I mean, I'm a ghost. Sure. So, like, I have some supernatural abilities. Like, I'm gonna check up on that guy. And if I'm like, oh, nah, he is so much like Jeremy. He has a horrible temper, and if he doesn't get what he wants, like, he throws a fit, and he's playing really cool with Kathleen, but, like, I've seen how he treats other people... Like I'm going to do some, I'm, I'm going to do a full background check on my murderous ex's kid.
1: I guess it's just that like the, the portion of the movie from coming out of the flashback to when they decide they're going to get married before he goes off to the war is like, I get that they're like deeply in love and like the love is sort of dragging them through these actions, but I am just kind of like, nah, Kenneth had it right the first time. <laughs> this shit's fucked up. This is so unbelievably, (laughs) like, nah, just, just go like, well, that's really weird. Bye. (laughs) Bye forever.
0: It is kind of the world's worst coincidence.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And like, I get that, like the power of their love overcomes this terrible coincidence. And like both Norma Shear and Frederick March. Yeah, I believe it. Nah, though.
0: Can I talk about Frederick March for a moment? Sure. He's like, he's such a good actor. He's really, really selling it for me. And then every time they kiss, I'm like, he looks like the worst kisser I've ever seen. And I've seen Norma Shear kiss enough people now between the divorcee and this that I know it's not her. He kisses like he thinks that the point is to smash your mouths together so hard that you bruise the other person's cheekbones with your cheeks yeah there's like no puckering there's no gentleness there's no there's and there's no dynamics every kiss that he gives is that kiss
1: it's a very silent movie kiss it is very like i am going to make sure that you notice that this is happening yes and like Leslie Howard, don't they kiss in the flashback? And isn't it like relatively normal looking?
0: It is. That was the point where I went, okay, this is not just like a bad directoral choice. It's that this actor is a bad kisser. And so I like, I did a little background research because I was like, okay, well, like, you know, a lot of... A lot of studio actors in the 30s were closeted gay guys and, like, maybe he's a great actor, but when it comes down to having to kiss a chick, it grosses him out. So he's just like, well, I'm gonna just overcorrect and really go for it. But no, nope, nah, there's no, like, there's no discussion about that. I mean, maybe he was, but, like, nobody ever knew it enough to, like, stick it in a Wikipedia article. And and it, it just... Fucked me up, man.
1: (laughs) See, here's the thing is, it was such a bad kiss. It did not read to me as like, he's a bad kisser in real life. It read to me as he makes really bad choices as an actor for kissing. He feels the need to pantomime this thing. That he totally doesn't need to pantomime.
0: Yeah, I mean, it totally felt like when, like, when little little kids, yeah, like toddlers, go to kiss th- your cheek or whatever, they don't know that you have to pucker. That it's not just smush your face into the other person's face.
1: Yeah, it was pretty crazy, but I, I still am like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like him as a dude. I think it's just like him as an actor is a really bad kisser.
0: I mean, I hope so, for the sake of anybody that he ever kissed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, because that's the other thing. Because I feel like in real life, if you do that, the other person is like, what are you... What are you doing? <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I... I, I...
0: I mean it was a time when women didn't really like stick up for themselves as far as physical stuff was concerned. Right, but I, so like I mean, you know, no one I ever don't knows. necessarily
1: mean that she would like really stick up for herself for the romance of it. I mean it would be a genuine question.
0: Like, oh, what she are you w- doing? Huh?
1: She would be she would be authentically asking him what he is doing to try and figure it out.
0: Um, <laughs> that's that's fair. And- <laughs> And also like rubbing her cheekbone where the bruise bruises. Right, started exactly. To form. <laughs> Should we rate this movie? I, yeah. And I'm going to have a hard time with it because like, yeah, because I, again, I enjoyed it. It was definitely captivating. But a lot of the reason that it was captivating was just like, where in the hell is this going? Which, you know, maybe, maybe I'm so conditioned to believe that the save the cat structure is good that when something surprises me, I'm like, oh, it must be accidental.
1: Yeah, I'm a big believer of like, you, you should care about structure to the degree to which structure is like a helpful way to build a story. And like, the reason why I complain about structure in these old movies so much is that like, normally when movies are this where the structure is this crazy in the movies we watch for this, it makes the movie so boring. Like, I spend all my time trying to just figure out what the next scene is going to be, like how long this scene is going to last.
0: And the pacing usually ends up being really, really plodding and really, and boring. I it, ma- it makes it really slow and boring, whereas this was so breakneck that it never felt boring.
1: Yeah, I was engaged by this movie's plot, even if I don't think the plot was particularly great and that it had some big holes in it. Unlike The Divorcee where I also spent the first third of the movie going what is this movie even what is the tone of this film this I was engaged by those questions and like wanted to find out the answers instead of just being like for fuck just give me a movie like start having a movie happen <laughs> the way I was with The Divorcee yeah. so I feel like I feel like I'm going to extend the, like, thing that I did before on the tilt joke and say that my score for this is, like, a slot machine that came up, like, seven followed by another seven followed by tilt. Like, my my first impulse is I want to give this movie a seven... But then also I just have no, idea what even was this movie?
0: Yeah, I, my, my feelings on it are almost like, it's so unfair that this is the first movie in 1932, 33, because it doesn't feel like anything that we've watched before. So trying to compare it to the stuff that comes previously is really difficult.
1: Yeah, but like, here's the thing I will say is like, we were talking in the Grand Hotel episode as we were rating that year about just like, God, I wish there was a third, like, Dark Horse Choice, I would have picked this as the best movie of last year's stuff. I would have said this should have won. Uh, yeah, I would have put this movie over Shanghai Express.
0: You know, I I would have too. even though I think that Shanghai Express is a more beautiful to watch movie and definitely like has a consistent tone and the action has a uh, has a path that's very sensible. But yeah, I would have picked this because I think that it definitely, it doesn't have any of the problems that Shanghai Hotel has, or Shanghai Express, and it doesn't have any of the problems that Grand Hotel does either. Shanghai Hotel, though, yeah. that maybe was the movie that should have happened. There should have been a mashup of Shanghai Express and Grand Hotel <laughs> that's not racist, and has <laughs> strong and has strong and interesting women.
1: And not sexist. Yeah.
0: That's the movie I want. No, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think if it had been thirty one thirty two, I would have picked this. Since it's the first movie in this year, like my inclination is to give it is to give it a seven as well, with the caveat that next week or three weeks from now, I may revise that score up or down, depending on, you know, what what happens yeah should people watch this movie i would say absolutely yeah without reservation i would say watch this movie (laughs) yeah
1: i like i especially in like this is to me the like er like oh this is on turner classic movies and like Pretty much no matter what moment you tune into this movie, you're going to have a good time watching to the end on Turner Classic Movies.
0: All of the acting is so solid. Like, mm-hmm. no one is the weak link here. Nobody is acting in a different movie, which ha- seems to happen a lot in these older movies where you're like, oh, that person is giving the performance of a lifetime next to somebody who's like the person that I guess they could throw on camera with
1: them. yeah. <laughs>
0: and norma sheer my god is so good she's,
1: she's great like she really is again this kind of just reinforces my feelings in the divorcee of just like god she's so much more engaging as like a spitfire than as like a wife to a terrible fucking dude
0: as a doormat as a doormat in a beautiful fur yeah trimmed velvet opera coat yeah Oh, absolutely. She's a very strong woman without any of the baggage that we apply to that now. Like, she's not a, a lawyer who's out to, you know, get justice for her clients or whatever. She's just living a totally patriarchal existence while still being smart and she stands up for herself and, like her career is not what defines her as being strong. It's just a personal quality. Yeah. Which is real strength. (laughs) Don't let your job define your strength. That is letting capitalism win. (laughs) So yeah, so for next week.
1: Next week we're watching... (laughs) Sorry, I opened up a tab. So first, I almost said next week we're watching Frederick March, but no, next week we're watching I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang,
0: which I have heard of before. Yeah, but no, absolutely nothing about. So we will we'll see how that turns out. Though I'm gonna say it's got a pretty great poster. Yeah, which is never a good sign. Oh
1: shoot, yeah, I didn't really look at this poster before, but on the other hand, like this is this is famous. So maybe it's in the same way that like All Quiet on the Western Front is still famous for being very good. This is pretty famous for being very good. So hopefully it's very good.
0: Yeah. And I would also argue that All Quiet on the Western Front, while the poster is not like the greatest piece of art I've ever seen. You know what? Actually, no, it's a good poster. It's not a great poster. The poster for I'm a Fugitive from a chain gang looks like a mashup between works progress administration aesthetic and like a pulp paperback cover. Yeah. So it's great.
1: Oh, on the other hand, though, look at the friggin' Farewell to Arms poster we've got the week after that. Because it is... That must be the worst movie on Earth, given this poster.
0: Yeah, but Gary Cooper's in it. Yeah. I'm always excited for Gary Cooper, I... even if he dies 18 seconds later, like he did in Wings. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah no i'm assuming both of these are actually going to be very good but the posters are also very good
0: right i'm excited to see if any of them breaks the uh breaks the curse
1: it's about time
0: yeah all right until then until
1: then this was a movie
0: it definitely was and you should watch it
1: agreed bye everybody bye isn't he a romantic figure (laughs) i love that devil take you look (laughs) (laughs) do you know you don't look unlike
0: that's my father
1: Your father. As I'm Kenneth Wayne. Well, this is romance. (laughs) You're
0: telling me.